Welcome. Glad that you're here. How many of you have ever seen that sign? You ever driven by that sign? A couple of you have. If you've ever driven I-65 going north of Montgomery towards Birmingham in the past 30 years, you've driven past that sign. I have driven past that sign a hundred times in the last 30 years. Now, actually, a couple months ago, I drove by it, and the sign had fallen down. It was laying on the ground. So I don't know if they put the sign back up yet or not. I'll let you know tomorrow, actually. I'm going to be driving that stretch of road tomorrow. But I'll let you know if that sign's back up. Go to church, or the devil will get you. And every time I've ever passed that sign, I've kind of stopped and thought, how do I react to that? And I've wondered... Has that sign ever motivated anybody to go to church? <laughs> maybe it has. I don't know. Or is it maybe just playing into a stereotype that you know, causes people to kind of get turned off the idea instead of turned on the idea? I don't know. Go to church or the devil will get you. Forty years ago, I heard this joke. There's a gigantic long line on Judgment Day. Millions of people waiting for their name to be called. At the front of the line, a huge roar goes up. People start celebrating, clapping, high-fiving. There's a guy at the end of the line going, what's going on up there? What's going on? He taps the guy in front and says, why is everybody so excited? The fellow in front turns around with a big smile on his face. He says, didn't you hear? Wednesday nights don't count. (laughs) Now, 40 years ago, I thought that was funny. Today, I think it's tragic. I think it's tragic because I think that's what a lot of people are sort of hoping for. That Wednesday nights don't count. That Bible study doesn't really matter. That prayer isn't that big of a deal. Now, I can just get by with with the minimum amount of conviction and commitment. I think it's tragic because I think there's a lot of people that are sort of hoping that's all that does count. As long as I'm in the right place at the right time, hey, I showed up on Wednesday night. That ought to be enough, right? That if I just do what I'm supposed to do, if I just check enough boxes, that's going to be enough. We are in between sermon series today. And I wanted to just share with you something that I just wanted to share. This morning I want to talk about the church. And I'm going to tell you right up front, this didn't come from the elders. This didn't come from you know, an email that I've gotten. No one asked me to preach on this. I just, I just chose to talk about it this morning. Specifically, I want to talk about the fact that when you are not at church, the church isn't all that it could be. When you are not at church, you are missed. Now, I know church is not a place. It's not a building. It's not a specific time you know, on a Sunday morning where things happen. I know that. I, I know 50 Greek words, and ecclesia is one of them. The called out. We are the church. We are the called out. I'm just saying, when you're not here, you're missed. Now, you probably noticed that the church isn't real popular in a lot of circles today. And I guess there's some reasons for that. People have been hurt, wounded, 
by somebody in the church, and so they sort of paint everyone with the same broad paint stroke, loudly proclaim that the church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. The church is often seen as being narrow-minded, old-fashioned, out of touch. This year, CBS debuted a show called Living Biblically. It's a show about a guy who decides to live his life just like the Bible tells him to. It was a comedy. And the idea was, who could actually do that, and how funny it would be if someone decided to do that. It was canceled less than two months in. A couple years ago, you Florida fans remember Tim Tebow was just ripped apart because he took a stand for Jesus. While it seemed like other celebrities kind of got a pass on some pretty ugly behavior. Let me, let me ask this. What if you spent your entire time focusing on the 5% of the things that you hate about your spouse? Or your mother, or your father, or your you know, children. What if you spent your entire day focusing on that 5% of the things that just drive you crazy about your family? In fact, let's try that. Everybody, close your eyes and think about the things that drive you crazy in your family. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Open your eyes. I'm kidding. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> It'd be a terrible thing to do, right? That would be really unhealthy. You know that. Why wouldn't we focus on the 95% of the things that, about, that we love about our family, that, that make life meaningful and purposeful and, and fun? But you know, I could spend my time thinking about that little percentage of the things my wife does that just gets under my skin. And if that's all I ever focused on, I wouldn't have a very happy marriage. And you know, I'd be pretty resentful, and bitter, and spiteful. I think sometimes people do that with church as well. God's church is, is made up of us, right? The faulty and the fallen. It's made up of messy people like us, so sometimes church gets messy, right? I mean, we bring our messes, so sometimes church is a little bit messy. But it's not just people on the outside that seem to complain about church. It's almost become fashionable for people on the inside to find fault with the church as well. I mentioned last week that you take Jesus out of the equation, we Christians will argue and, and we'll complain about anything. There's a tremendous discussion regarding on how the church needs to change. I'll say this. I think the biggest mistake a church can make is when she tries to change things that can't be changed. And I think the second biggest mistake a church makes is when she refuses to change things that probably should be changed. I think we do need to adjust our methods as we try to introduce people to Jesus in a very changing culture. But trying to find God apart from the church, trying to worship and honor Jesus apart from the church, it can't be done. And we can't change that. Here's another billboard that, that I've seen, I bet you have too, um, advertising a specific church. A church for people who don't like church. Have you ever seen that billboard around? Yeah, I've seen that several places. A church for people who don't like church. Now, I understand, I think I understand the message that they're trying to convey. But let's, let me go ahead and be brutally honest here. 
If you're a guest of ours today, and you're just kind of checking us out, and you're not exactly sure you know, where we land, if you're looking for a church for people who don't like church, you're probably in the wrong place. Because I love the church. This is a church who loves the church. There's a lot of reasons why we love the church. I think the best reason is we love the church because Jesus loved the church. Ephesians is one place that tells us, and you husbands must love your wives with the same love Jesus showed the church. He gave up his life for her. Jesus loved the church. He founded the church with his blood. I don't know what you would be willing to give your life for. My list was a short list. But if you're willing to give your life for something, it's something you've put a great deal of value in. Jesus put a great deal of value in the church. He saw the church as something we're dying for. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. Now, a lot of people will tell you, well, I do love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I'm a Christian. I'm spiritual. But I just... I want to stay away from organized religion. Again, let me be real honest here. If you're a guest of ours checking us out and you're saying, I just, I'm trying to stay away from organized religion, you're probably in the right place. We are just about as disorganized as anybody you'll ever meet. I mean, that's us. But listen, the New Testament talks about the church that Jesus established as being a visible body with structure, with definition. There are elders who, who serve as overseers. There are deacons who serve the body. There are teachers. The, ter- the church is, is, a, is a, a, an organism that functions together. And you see it all over Scripture. Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of a body several times when he talks about the church. We're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But God made our bodies with many parts, and He has put each part just where He wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. God made our bodies with many parts, And he's put each part, that's you, that's me. He's put each part just where he wants it. Some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. Now, there are so many things we could pull out of that passage. There are so many layers of teaching there. But don't miss the obvious point that I think Paul's trying to make. And that is... Body parts are meant to be attached to the body. We get that, right? You're with me on that, right? Body parts are meant to be attached to the body. I've got a lot of body parts right now. Personally, I would prefer they all stay attached. I'm not ready to sacrifice anything that's attached to me just yet. Now imagine walking down a sidewalk and you're looking, oh, there's a hand. Hey, there's a foot. And, and and there's a nose. Wouldn't your first thought be, those should be attached to a body somewhere? 
Okay, maybe it wouldn't be your first thought. But wouldn't you realize that's not right and that's not normal? Somewhere there's a body that is really missing a hand. And somewhere there's a body that really needs that foot. There's a body that's hurting somewhere. Or imagine your teenager coming home from school one day and he doesn't have any ears. And you say, where are your ears? You're going to need your ears. You're going to need those when you go back to school tomorrow. And of course they say, what? Because we don't have any ears. Which is what they say all the time, right? What Paul is saying is that those parts aren't meant to function independently of the body. They were never meant to function independently of the body. We all understand that. The body can't function correctly without those parts. Which brings me back to my original statement. When you're not here, you're missed. You're missed when you're not here. And my thought process this week of, you know, what do I, what do I want to share was how do I motivate people to want to be attached to the body? How can I motivate people to, to want to show up here next week? Put a sign up. Go to church or the devil will get you? No, what do you say? What do you do? Why would you want to stay for Bible class? Why would you want to volunteer for some of the ministries involved here? Why would you want to serve someone in the name of Jesus? Why would you want to help someone who might never help you in return? Why would you want to be a part of this? Is it really that big of a deal? Well, I think it is a pretty big deal. Because I'm convinced that as Christians, we are called to belong, not just believe. There are tremendous blessings that are associated with belonging as well as believing. We are a part of something that is so much bigger than any of us individually. Now, some of you really know your Bible. And some of you have been thinking, hey, Tim, go to Hebrews 10.25. you got to get to Hebrews 10.25. I've already got my Bible opened up to Hebrews 10.25. When's he going to get to Hebrews 10.25? He's talking about the church. He hasn't mentioned Hebrews 10.25 yet. Well, I'll mention 10.25. In fact, I'll mention 24 and 25. It's a great passage. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. All my life I have heard Hebrews 10.25 used as the definitive proof text that you have to go to church. Back when I was a kid, it was Sunday morning and Sunday night, as well as Wednesday night. And if there was a gospel meeting, you had to be there every single night of the gospel meeting or the devil was going to get you. Now, don't give up on me yet. Hebrews 10.25, great verse, powerful verse. I don't think it's the best verse on motivating people to be a part of the body. In fact, for a long time, all I ever really heard were the first seven words of verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together. But once I read that passage in context... I realize what the writer's really talking about is not going to church as much as 
talking about being the church. The importance of being a part of the body. It's talking about belonging and being. We need to get together, absolutely. And when we get together, we need to be spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. We need to be encouraging one another when we're together. You can't encourage me if you're not here. You can't encourage me if I'm not here. When we are together, we need to be spurring one another on to love better, to be more like Jesus, to live, to love, to serve more like Jesus, to do good things, encouraging each other, because that's what that passage is talking about. And the other side of that coin is, if we're meeting together every time the doors are open, and we're not talking about Jesus, and we're not challenging each other to be more like Jesus, to grow in our love, we might as well stay home, because we're violating that passage. Yeah, I've always been taught that this is a passage on the responsibility of being together, and it is, but it's such a great passage on the opportunities that we have when we come together. What tremendous opportunities that we have when we're together. Let me give you what I think is, for me at least, a better verse as far as motivating people to be faithful to the Lord and to His church. It's found at the beginning of a letter that is fittingly wrote, written to a uh, church. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we've heard that you trust in Christ Jesus and that you love all of God's people. You do this because you're looking forward to the joys of heaven, as you have been ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Listen to what he says. It is changing lives everywhere. Just as it changed yours that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's kindness to sinners. The Gospel, the story of Jesus, is changing lives everywhere. Just as it changed yours that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. Paul is telling this church, when you better understand just how good God is, when you better understand God's grace in relationship to your sin, your life will be changed. Your schedule will look different. Your priorities will be rearranged. When you better understand the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. So I ask myself the question, do I meet with the body to learn to love Jesus? Or do I meet with the body because I love Jesus? And in the words of Forrest Gump, I think it's both. I think it's both. I want to better learn to love Jesus. And I'm here because I love Jesus. 
Paul tells those Christians in Colossae, your life was changed when you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. And then look at the very next verse. Verse 7. Epaphras, our much-loved co-worker, was the one who brought you the good news. He's Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us in your place. He's the one who told us about the great love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Paul said, you didn't figure this out on your own. There was someone who shared the good news with you, and then Paul tells us who it is. Some guy named Epaphras. You didn't sit in a lotus position on a hillside and watch the sun come up and understand the goodness of God and His great kindness towards sinners. Someone told you the good news of Jesus, taught you the truth. Somebody got together with brothers and sisters and they talked about Jesus and they worshipped God. For me, the better I understand God's great kindness towards sinners, like me, the more I want to be in a place where we talk about Jesus. The more I want to be in a place where I learn about God. Where I'm encouraged by brothers and sisters. I don't show up here every Sunday because I'm in fear of breaking some commandment. I show up and, and I try to be involved and I, I try to be a part of what's going on because I know my family's going to be here. And I know we're going to talk about Jesus. And I know we're going to sing these great songs, just singing from the heart about how we loved our Lord, how we loved Jesus and God and all the wonderful things He's done. We're going to spend time in prayer. Before I leave, we're going to, we're going to open the Bible and we're going, to, we're going to dig into it. I'm going to be encouraged to be more like Jesus. I'm going to be spurred on toward love and good deeds. And not just that, you know what else I'm going to be? I'm going to be loved on. I love standing in the lobby out here. Because I know every week I'm going to get handshakes. I'm going to get smiles. I'm going to get hugs. You know what? Apart from my immediate family, this is the only place in the world where people hug me. Nobody hugs me except here. I don't get hugs at Walmart. Never. I'm going to be loved on every time that we're together. I need that. Man, I desperately need that. I'm going to be encouraged by you to do better. And I'm going to be encouraged to be better. Someone once said that worship time with the family is sort of like being radioactive for God. We're exposed to God. We picked up some of that radioactivity and some of His characteristics. Then we radiate that during the week. We start living like what we've been exposed to. But the problem is, us humans, we have a real short half-life. And if we're not continually exposed to that radiance, that radioactivity, we'll lose our radiance. So we've got to keep being exposed to that truth and that love. And I think that's a pretty good analogy. It is, at least for me. Joining you in worship, it is a vital part of my spiritual growth. Let me close by, by sharing with you an article that uh, came across my desk a while back, written by a, a young guy in Texas. And I'm pretty sure I've shared this uh, blog article before in a class setting, but I think it's so good. I wanted you all to hear it. He entitled it, Why I Stay in Church. And he begins by talking a little bit about how people become disillusioned with church. And then he writes this. Again, this isn't my words, but 
but I relate to so much of it. I stay in church because over 30 years ago, godly men and women sacrificed their time, talent, and energy to teach me the Scriptures. Those Scriptures have continued to anchor my life. I'd be lost without them. I'm grateful that people sowed love and honor and attention into my life. Those people thought church was a pretty big deal. My past teachers might disagree with some of my current theology, but I would not be anywhere without both the light and the path they laid before me. I stay in church because I've spent more than a few Sundays in a church service that stunk, musically and homolytically, but God's presence still seemed to seep through the cracks of the door and settle on the pew beside me when I was willing to look for Him. I stay in church because I was taught that church isn't actually a place where things happen, but it's the people of God. I don't like thinking of myself as a type of person who quits on people. I stay in church because my children haven't heard all the stories of God yet. They know Jesus and Joseph and Samson and Moses, but they don't know everything about Ruth and Naomi and Hosea and Gomer and David and Bathsheba. They can't live rightly without knowing these stories. And the church wants to help tell those stories. Thank you, Angie. I stay in church because when I've gone off and done everything wrong and have been a complete jerk, someone at church puts their arm around me and tells me they love me. I stay in church because I've come to realize that no one is saved by their theology. And all of us are significantly wrong about something. I can find a congregation that practices what I want them to practice, but I'm not arrogant enough to assume that the way I think it is is actually the way it always is. I stay in church because I listen to classical music and NPR. I read lots of books in the New York Times and watch no reality TV. And every week I'm in the same room with people who listen to nothing but country music, who wear work boots to weddings and enjoy fishing and hunting. I love being a part of the only place in the world where all kinds of life and living connect. And we understand that what makes us different isn't even close in terms of the immensity of what brings us together. What makes us different isn't even close to the immensity of what brings us together. I think Paul meant it when he said we no longer see people from a worldly point of view. I stay in church because, he writes, I fell in love with my wife at Abilene Christian University and one of the first things we started doing was going to church together. Plus, I think she's most beautiful when she sings. And I stay in church because I've heard one too many stories of lives on the verge of or just a notch past destruction when they stumbled into the door of a church only to find hope in the lives of people equally shattered. Ultimately, I don't expect the church to be perfect, to have faith, hope, doubt, science, marriage, parenting, or politics all figured out. Hey, I'm just thankful there's a children's program. Call it low expectations if you want. I'll call it grace. And if I can't practice grace here, I can't practice grace anywhere. So I'll tirelessly work to right the wrongs in the church and the world. But I can't leave the church because of poor theology or even the harmful, destructive practice of poor theology. She's a bride. She's married to my elder brother, Jesus. I will love her, respect her, and treat her well. It's his wedding, not mine. 
And if He can love her, so can I. If He can love her, so can I. Jesus loves us. That's how the song goes, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves the church. He gave His life for the church. He loves this part of His body that calls ourselves the Bay Area Church of Christ. And you know what? If He can love us, so can I. It's my heart's desire to remain faithful to Him and faithful to His church and to better understand God's truth about His great kindness to sinners like me. I love the church. I love the church because of the truth that I learn here. I love the church because I'm with a group of people who want to talk about Jesus, who want to share Jesus, who want to worship our Lord, and want to bring good news to other people as well. I hope you love the church too. As a church, we are in the habit of having an opportunity where people come and just share things with the church family. And maybe there's something going on in your life right now that you just need prayers of people who love you. Just need to share something that's on your heart or in your life. Maybe it's a, a, an issue, a struggle. Maybe it's great news. We like to hear that too. Maybe you're in a place in your life where someone has shared the good news with you and you're ready to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to put Him on in baptism, boy, we'd love to help you with that as well. As a family, as your church family, if we can assist you in any way, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Meet us there. Let's stand and sing.